Creativity is an extension of the human experience. This wild, boundless seascape has been our anchor for our friendship and our sanity. This podcast is an exploration between close friends of storytelling and artistic expression. In this chapter, we explore social media platforms and cell phones from the perspective of a generation that was raised without it. Mm. Welcome. We unearth moments of magic in our daily lives. Shining and mysterious relics are pulled from the oceanic, oceanic depths of our existence. What you might walk past, we stop and exclaim. That's what we do. And mm. within this topic of modern magic, the magic of tech and digital platforms, and how collective consciousness has portaled us into the web, mm. we found a lot of proof of magic. And we're going to unpack all this. It sparks off a lot of potential on how you can use magic. Along with identifying where magic and power exists for us, there's a deep recognition that magic has rules. Mm. There are important lessons about balance here. Yep. Magical codes of ethics are being formed as new spaces are created. So it's an intentional and deeply personal need for Pixie and I to have come to terms with a virtual space, which in some ways we were thrown into without any intentional awareness. Mm -hmm. And behind each virtual door lies the choice to be a part of a fertile world-building creative process or a monstrous, toxic, destructive, and cruel spellcasting process. Which one you choose to partake in is your absolute right as free humans. And we're here to tell you that there are no rules that can't be broken and no sense of morality that can't be flipped. This is particularly relevant during Pixie's favorite season, <laughs> Yule Time. Yep. Where we are often trying to maintain our sanity. <laughs> we're at breaking point. <laughs> our most tender and vulnerable potentiality. And this would just be a great time to take stock on any addictive patterns you want to quell or ponder what social media is and isn't for you. This is an exploration of power and potential that lie beneath your fingers. And as Pixie says, as we tap away at um, your metal and glass electric wands. I love, I love the way you describe that, Pixie. <laughs> I'm not even sure I was the one who wrote that, but. <laughs> you evoked it. You were definitely like, these are, <laughs> these are, these are modern day wands. Like the <laughs> they chemicals are. and the minerals are all harnessed to create something that like transmits power, which is like what a wand does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to begin, we're kind of starting with the question, where are your limits? What are mm. your feelings about this? Let's find out. Um, and uh, in terms of the wands, um, I there's already um, a reference to a link that you can go to. Um, the name of it is A World of Minerals in Your Mobile Device. And it lists all of the minerals that our phones are made up of. And one of them is silicon. Um, very abundant in the Earth's crust, produced from the source mineral quartz, and is the basis of integrated circuits. And I'm sorry, but I find that to be so magical. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, that's what they're one of the things they're made of. They're not 
just like bricks. They have like magical properties. Yeah. And some of these rare minerals are found in parts of the world, like Africa, Mm -hmm. um, where they are exported as raw minerals and then processed and sold Mm -hmm. um, away from those places, which is really fucked up because then you've got this like really unfair um, system of, uh, you know, exchange and payment for these finite things in the world. So, you know, we're already starting with a really interesting um, backdrop of like these magical, magical minerals um, being capitalized, being resourced unfairly. Yeah. And also in terms of Apple phones, like we know that the working conditions of those people making them have not been good either. I've heard a lot of bad things about that. So um, just to keep in mind, (laughs) magic and its power and destruction. Um, Mm. So let's cast our minds back to the beginning. Um, This is mythic story time for us. And like (laughs) all storytelling, you hearken to the beginning. And the beginning for us, witches or warlocks, gifted with the first embers of the internet. I love that. (laughs) Remember our first meetings and especially the first social media platforms, which is where this whole ecosystem is taking place. And um, Mm -hmm. just for context, in case people don't know, I am 38. Mm-hmm. And then, Rudo, how old are you? I, you're 39, close. almost 40. Yeah. We're, you know, we're from the same generation and all of our friends, you know, are around that age. So for those of us from this generation, you will, you will know what we're talking about. But if not, this is a really interesting, you know, perspective for you to hear. So my first memories, um, ours were pretty similar, but mine was, you know, I remember AOL Instant Messenger. I remember... Mm-hmm watching You've Got Mail and that poetry of the door opening, hearing the little sound of the door open and um, your friend or the guy you had a crush on being there and the kind of liberation for someone shy to like say more than you might um, if you were in person. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so chat rooms and then there was definitely some online diaries. Yeah, Um, Diaryland was like the actual first. It was before any of the other social media platforms. Yeah. And then also there was LiveJournal. And then, yeah, and I was on that for a while. And then MySpace and Facebook. um, I did want to like kind of take note that immediately I was gripped with wonder by the whole thing. You know, chatting with friends, you could leave an away message that represented yourself. You know, what are you doing when you're away? You know, and then you could also with like MySpace and Facebook and even, hey, I think you could have an icon. Um, you mm-hmm. could represent yourself with images. And then once mm-hmm. you were online journaling, you could dare to put your thoughts into the ether and write poetry. And I made some amazing friends there. Mm. And there, there is like this feeling of being seen, like, oh, how am I going to represent me? How will people see me? Right. And it's a very like amazing feeling, but there's also a bit of narcissism in that. I think there's healthy kind of narcissism where you're like wanting to be seen, but it can easily turn itself on its head into like, obsession or like getting too wrapped up in it. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. So um, that was kind of my initial feeling. And I, I actually have this funny story. I tell people I was in SUNY Purchase Library. I was on MySpace for a long time. And um, someone walked by because it was being pumped out of Silicon Valley at the time and it was running through all the colleges. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I saw the social network that I kind of understood 
the real backstory of it. I didn't know it was meant as a place of dating. Yeah, I didn't know that. But um, someone walked by and said, you're on MySpace. Get on Facebook. That's what everyone's doing now. And <laughs> like an idiot, I remember being like, what's that? And I like went and checked it out and signed up for it because I, like I said, there was no initiation. We just jumped in like mm-hmm. curious young people wanting to be connected to other people. So, um, yeah. So to kind of close on that intro, my reflection on that was without much guidance, I learned through trial and error about my own boundaries probably made mistakes, probably made my own code of ethics without being aware that I was making them because you figure out what you're going to do and what you're not going to do Yeah, by learning the hard way, maybe. Um, and I think that code, the code I made is always adapting intuitively because things are changing so quick. Right. And then, you know, jump forward to now, I play an online game, you know, the Elder Scrolls. That's an online community. And there are a lot of those different games. That's kind of a form of social media in a way. It has moderators and people who keep track of that community. So that's kind of my little summary of how I've seen things change and how I experienced it. I love that. I want to kind of um, respond to your thoughts, especially I love the overlap that you have with um, the gaming community and moderation within that, because um, in a lot of games, you get to choose your own adventure. And some of those choices are like your internal moralistic decisions. Some of them are you're playing with your own morality or you're um, removing your morality, implanting somebody else's like you're embodying a character. But within that, there's all of these like nanoseconds of self-check-in. And to the most, most, most people or most moments, it's um, unrecognized. And that's what we've done also when we're looking at the spell of social media. We're looking at what are the things that we have decided um, from a heart-centered or moralistically-centered place that we haven't even really taken stock of until this moment. I mean, that's what's so great about podcasting is you just get to have these like, you know what I've decided? <laughs> yeah, but it's constantly changing. I mean, the landscape is always changing. And like, we didn't even know what we were getting into when we entered it. So we true. were just like, wow, with wonder. Now, I feel like no one cares it's just like the next thing oh i'm on this i'm on that like i don't know if people think it's as exciting as we did i I don't know if i'm being old sounding but like i just it doesn't seem like there's as much appreciation because there's so many and you're just raised with it but it's interesting yeah yeah because i remember being like eight and my dad being like this image um is coming from our computer from a database from the metropolitan museum of art and he like opened a picture for me but it took like right six minutes to load fully <laughs> and look at us now we have virtual tours of museums that we can yeah. like um you know simulate um a virtual reality i mean it's just incredible the amount of growth and change that we've seen this this world and i what i love about um setting this within the context of magic and witches and warlocks is that's exactly how i felt when i discovered Diaryland. Mm. um the very first so my memory, uh, my first interaction with social media is chat rooms and then diary land. Um, and what, if, if, if I think about what kind of witch or warlock I would be, I'm a shapeshifter, I'm an enchantress. And I was pretending to be much older women Interesting. in chat I rooms. I was like, I used to read your blog. Yeah. No, so not, not my diary land. I was me by then. <laughs> okay. So this is before I knew you. Oh, okay. But there was like this developmental phase when I was 12 going on 13 where I was like, 
I am not this age. My body doesn't look that age. My heart, my desires don't feel appropriate for this age. And so I just straight up got to be, you know, 18 online. Um, wow. You know, much to the horror of anyone who is a parent. Yeah. When you when you don't fit developmentally with what society says that you need to be behaving like at your age, um, the internet allows you not to have to play by those rules. <laughs> yeah, you can be anyone you want, for good or ill. <laughs> yeah, and I and I'm I think that I'm just risk averse enough that I didn't do anything crazy. I didn't send any pictures. Yeah, I didn't um, meet anyone in real life. I didn't exchange any like actual details. I used my friend's address for letters. So wow. I remember I had this um, Canadian boyfriend who was in his 20s. <laughs> he thought he was oh my to God. an 18-year-old and he would send letters care of, you know, to a friend. Um, anyway. I did not know the, about you. Wow. Yeah. So Diaryland was an incredible thing. And I, I just sucks that it wasn't, um, you know, it was built for people to um, live in this paradox, to be you know, publicly sharing in in a private world. And I loved that juxtaposition. Like we're going to flip this on its, on its end. And at at the height of its existence, it had 2.2 million users. So that's like more than Twitter, right? (laughs) I guess so. And the the thing that (laughs) it failed so badly was um, that it wasn't monetized properly. And so, you know, he could have been the guy who built, who coded um, Diaryland, Andrew Smales, he could have been a Zuckerberg, but he didn't have that cutthroat capitalism within him to just be like, I'm going to scale this and make a fuck ton of money. And it's just, he didn't have that gene. Um, So Diaryland just died. It's not, it's still kind of alive-ish apparently. Um, Really? Yeah. um, Apparently it still has one or two Mm -hmm. new users a day signing on. Yeah. So, um, but if I think about what back in the day, what this, what these purposes and worlds were used for, um, they were both my way of um, existing in a shape shifting kind of way, but also I started to lean on it for uh, this kind of sense of what is the collective conscious, what's the zeitgeist, what's current affairs, what are the trends, um, you know. My kind of, I'm like on the border of Gen Z, millennial. Uh, Sometimes I feel like a Gen Z and sometimes I feel like a millennial. And what's kind of true for us is like this distrust in um, popular media sources, you know, like um, we were looking for independent sources for the news, for information. Um, So I thought that, oh, great, this is a really, you know, I'm crowdsourcing information in this way. Um, but then I just realized that it's like, at this point, we're just recycling each other's stuff so it can be incorrect and you're just recycling more incorrect stuff, or it could be, you know, a really inaccurate version of reality. Like that's not actually what's happening if you go out on the streets. Yeah. And anyone can post anything they want. Exactly. So the, the kind of monstrous, toxic aspect to this, we're going to kind of personify that danger. And we're going to kind of talk about them as like monsters lurking in the shadows, because why not? They are. (laughs) I mean, they are. Um, It's a whole other reality. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
those were that was our intros. That was kind of our entryway into this world. And um, yeah, like you said, in any magical adventure, like the adventure of jumping into the online universe, there are foes, hidden or not. And with every magical story, you pay a price. Mm. What are these costs? And what are these monsters, these foes hungry for? Well, for your mind, your habits. Mm -hmm. These foes want all of our data so that they can monetize it. These beasts are forever eating and storing and watching who we are and what we do and what we think and what we want. So privacy, right? Mm -hmm. No such thing. No such mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I loved the way that you, uh, when we were kind of pinging ponging back and forth, what did you call it? Um. Oh, Sauron. Oh, yeah. The all yeah. of Sauron. I mean, <laughs> he comes into play in every facet of life. But yes, he's there. <laughs> yeah. And you and Martin Shaw called it something, too. Um. Yeah, he write he wrote a book, um, and he I think he calls it a spyglass. And there's some deep myth with it. I'll link the book um, in the show notes. I don't want to speak to it because I want I would want someone to read what he wrote. But the big thing he was speaking of was it's almost like it's become a god instead of a tool, and we're like hypnotized, and they're always watching us. Um, it's all we're always watching ourselves because like the data thing does bother me sometimes although sometimes i'm like i've i've said to you i've found some interesting things through that data mining that i've used and bought and like have been useful to me um mm -hmm. i'm more scared of like the people participating because i and and the leaders of some of them who don't seem to yes. have codes of ethics but yes. i think like the humans that have made we're calling systems, them dark lords we're calling them dark lords like not to but like mark zuckerberg sorry but you know, Elon Musk, sorry, you guys are, you know, you're on the wrong side. And I think that, like, it's easy to take our desire for connection and our collective consciousness. We already had collective consciousness before we ever had social media, but now we can amplify it. Mm -hmm. That That's a big responsibility. And people have taken it on who have the gene, as you say, to want to be domineering. And yeah, there's a bunch of manipulation that's occurred yeah. through psychology oh, and, and and purposeful um, purposeful consumption. Yeah. You know, um, it's called choke point capitalism. Oh, interesting. When big when big businesses just capture the the innovation and the culture of smaller, um, you know, collectives of of collaborative creatives. That's a lot of, but um, yeah. <laughs> the the idea of like we'll just subsume this we'll we'll eat that up we'll take that on and so yeah. you just get you know this one all powerful lord of all things innovative and yeah. we have to fight against that because this is not a healthy way to build a free market no you can't just take up everything and everyone can and one person controls all of it that is not how growth happens yeah and like I think this is relevant in the sense that, you know, the cool part about these social media sites, because the one that I really use is Instagram, and that's the only one I use, and you don't pay for that. So you're kind of at the whim of how that's run. But whenever me and friends have tried to use paid platforms, there's one called, um, I'm going to find it and link it. 
I, I'm not going to try and remember it right now, but it's a great one. I used it um, with a group I was in. Oh, what was that one? Mighty called? Mighty Networks. Mighty there Networks is a great um, site. But whenever you try, unless you're very intentional, you can't get people to move on there. I've had friends who've tried to use other Instagram type platforms yep. and no one goes. And I think even yep. you and I tried it and no one goes because everyone's too comfy. So mm-hmm. we're kind of like we do have a choice to not participate in these, but we're all there right now. And oh, so like prisoners. We're, prisoners. we're all there right now. We're kind of prisoners. But like if we all got up and left, we wouldn't be prisoners. But we're kind of just like it's the system has already been started and people are running their livelihoods on it and it requires us all to move. Yeah. And so in some ways they have made some rings and put them on us kind of like in Lord of the Rings. Sorry, but like, you know, we've got the rings. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say the end credit of the rings of power um, is sung by Fiona Apple. Hmm. I'm obsessed with her. And I like did not realize that she was singing and it, um wow total tangent okay yeah total tangent but <laughs> interesting for all of us um rings of power uh and so you mentioned i don't know about this the electronic frontier foundation yep there are knights our warriors our samurais and our defenders against these dark lords these hungry data monsters mm-hmm. that eat our eat up our privacy uh have no regard for um, human decency. We have this incredible federation of people who go up against these um, monopolies and um, say, you know, we're, we're, we actually are going to create laws and systems to make sure that you trade fairly and ethically, that you don't mm-hmm. just take take the um, these incredible new um, technology sources and and use it for nefarious means. Uh, this mm-hmm. is not. This is not what we signed up for and this is not okay because you know there's all these different tensions between um free speech um sharing ideas but um being able to experience them safely mm-hmm. uh and we need really good uh systems and stop gaps in place for when business is being um unethical or um our own personal safety is unethical you know like mm-hmm. um the the CIA and the FBI and these larger um, kind of police states can tell us when it's okay for them to dig into our information. But then, right. you know, if, if we're trying to, you know, uh, you know, a school finds out that a child is being groomed by a pedophile, then all of a sudden it becomes very, very difficult to work with the police. Um, so there's all of these double standards around safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, this is this is where we're going to pop in things around um, what we're talking about because there's incredible resources for you to understand what your rights are, whether you're a creative, um, putting out beautiful content online, and you're concerned with how what the nature of that is being shared, um, all the way up to um, how safe am I against some of these kind of international threats uh, of privacy? Can can the um, can the CIA just look at my information without telling mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the other part of this that I think is really um, ominous and horrific is around religious conservatism. Uh, we talked about in the Witcher episode how the the original monsters really are um, the the church um, mm-hmm. who tells 
tells humanity that they're only safe with the church and the witchers are evil and they're, they're monsters too. You know, there's the whole propaganda of control and uh, oppression. And that's what we're seeing online as well, that religious conservatism is alive and well. For instance, there's laws around the fact that on Facebook and social medias, you're allowed to um, put up content or ads for prescription drugs. So Viagra is allowed, Mm -hmm. but if it has anything to do with female pleasure or sex toys, not allowed. So um, the the double standards around sexuality and wellness um, and how we advertise um, and and resource those things freely online is, is so hypocritical. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So this is this is the fascinating aspect of tech and social media is that those who make the rules and those who enforce the rules um are not necessarily people that you would want to invite over to dinner. And have we decided who makes the rules? No, because we haven't come up with a code of conduct for the internet. And right. we haven't ever elected anyone to run it. And like, you know, or to be behind the scenes of it and is that possible, but it is an online community now, whether you like it or not. I mean, I guess there's people who run specific, you know, online communities in each group you might be in. I guess that's what ends up happening. But overall, I don't know. It's like whoever's well, running whatever it is, is running it. A lot of these places are based in America and the Supreme Court um, are absolutely being utilized to um, decide what laws will be upheld and what won't. And right. there are usually conservative leading rulings, you know, especially yeah. with YouTube. And like I said, the, um, yeah. the advertising of, you know, wellness and, um, versus sexuality, which yeah. drives me nuts. Yeah. It's like certain like storylines are being pumped out as the right ones rather than, you know, yeah. everything being able to be available. Um, you also wrote about, uh, you know, the idea of like, there's all these, there's just fighting, you know, on all these social media sites, people will, we've all gone into whether you want to admit it or not, and at least read the arguments and the comments or whatever social media site you use. And most of the time it feels pretty pointless and a waste of energy. And I've maybe once or twice participated and regretted it instantly. Yeah. Um, people, and they already have a mythic name, Trolls. Trolls. You're That's right. They do. <laughs> I mean, we knew it, but we didn't get connected. But they're trolls. And like, and there, I've argued with one once and it was absolutely terrible. And I'm never doing it again. And, um, mm. and like, you just can't get drawn in by that because it's no. not authentic. No. It's weird. Like, it's like the online world has brought out a whole other part of the psyche for some people, I think. And I don't understand it, but like, I want to have real conversations with people. And like people who are trolls, they don't want to have real conversations. So I don't really understand that psychology, but that's scary to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, who are you? Some version of a human that I don't get. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of, you know, have gone through and, and weaved together the positive um, threads of this world and the mm-hmm. negative ones. And mm. I I elect that maybe we start with the positives. Why not? Um 
And the first thing we said was connection. I mean, mm. obviously. Yeah. You know, um, I feel I do as much as I have issues with Instagram. I feel like I have a community on there. I really didn't want to be on it. I waited a long time. I left Facebook years ago. I've never looked back. Um, but there's something aesthetic about it. And I enjoy the aesthetics of it. And uh, I've connected with a lot of artists. And it's kind of like a little diary. I feel like it is kind of like a diary, a visual diary. And um, I, I don't use notifications at all. So I go into it when I want to. I don't, it doesn't tell me to do anything. But, uh, Um, yeah, so that's like connection is like what I get from the the social media I use. Mm, yeah. And I mean, your aesthetic is so beautiful as well. So, you know, it's like this immediate treat that, you know, you've mastered this particular platform and the way that even the, the one, the thumbnail, actually, it's not even a thumbnail. It's like a GIF that you used for this episode. It's so gorgeous, you know, this like, um, kind of. Uh, shape-shifting gold um, emulator. You know, it's very magical in the way that it looks. So I think about um, how you're able to harness that from a technical standpoint is really impressive. So, Well, yeah. And like, it speaks to also my thoughts on using, to me, like using the pre-made elements they'll give you. And like, because I do that and do those in Adobe Express. And I pay for Adobe. And and I like to use my own logos and cut things out and make them by hand and then put them into the system. But lately mm. I've been embracing using the found elements, which is essentially collage. And I love collage, but like, yeah. I think it needs, but I think it needs to be done with intention and it needs to transform sufficiently in order to be an original piece. And so I've tentatively like approached it with a little bit of like trepidation and, um, but I've but I'm embracing it and it's fun and they're just for thumbnails and they're to suggest and like open up the dialogue around our our recordings. But for that particular one, you know, I was thinking about hypnotism. And so while it was beautiful and like delightful, it's also a little like addictive. And so that was what I was thinking of. Mm. Um Yeah. So any so anyway. Sparkly. Yeah. Sparkly, <laughs> maybe too sparkly. And um <laughs> and like is that even possible? Too sparkly. But anyway, no, um, no. <laughs> the other thing I want to like put right, right at the beginning of this positives is phone use because, you know, we, we kind of, I'm going to link phones in this social media piece because they are what people are using them on. I mean, Instagram is made for the phone. If you try to use it on a computer, it's like, it's not great. Crap. So like, yeah. and a lot of these apps are, I mean, I don't use any other ones, but like, I'm assuming it's the same. So they're made for you to be engaged with them all the time. I mean, yes. people, you know, you go on this at night when you're laying in bed. You, know, Me and Rudo have <laughs> talked on Instagram I'm in like, bed. Get off. It's 4 a.m. Yeah. And like, let, we're staying in the positive land. So like. Oh, sorry. Is, <laughs> but, but wait, no, it's like interesting because I'm very comforted by because I've curated the people I look at. So I'm looking at art. I'm looking at yeah. really interesting mental health things. I might be chatting to a friend. Like, you know, I might be sending Vanessa pictures of cute things or you. Like, you know, I'm using it intentionally. Um, I also mm -hmm. really like um, um, ASMR, ASMR things. I like watching people crushing chalk 
Like I, it's really interesting. Um, phenomenon. Yeah, that's like, one of those things that like you're either really into or you're not. Like <laughs> it's interesting. Like, but it's really... it either works for you or it's like that. What's happening? But ASMR is awesome for it's me. Neat. Oh. Me too. Yeah. And that's I like, a for young me, I like the little fingernail tippy tappies ones. Like yeah, when I you don't got, like, like that, but I like <laughs> the crunching of chalk and just, interesting. Really weird. I don't get it. Yeah, for me um, it's a and that, sound. That's so cool. Yeah. And like that is like I'm bad at the names of the generations, but I feel like that's not ours. That's like the younger generation made that. Oh, I don't know who made yeah, that so first. Maybe you, not. You and I are on the cusp of millennial. Are we? Okay. But there's people that are like more squarely in millennial that I think I think millennials created ASMR. Yeah, I could um, be wrong about that, guys. And I'm here for it. So, uh, yeah, jump. So jumping like into more positives, let's talk about art movements. We've kind of already discussed this. Yeah. Um, what can you say? About you're that? so. I mean, you're just so cool about what you've um, encouraged me to consider that art movements are that we are living history that we are creating things um live that you know history history is not in the past history is forward thinking it's in the moment as well and um these new terminologies that you've been describing to me around um new potential art movements that we can and and the thing that's kind of cool about it is that maybe they don't have like um universally agreed upon labels yet but you can see it you can see these kind of yeah. clusters of creative ripples and how they feed each other and and because the internet is so instantaneous um it's it's happening at such a fast pace these like hybrids of personalities and and artistic approaches yeah and because of how it kind of links us together with similarities you find your people which is a cool part about the tracking things you know like it's you know, you find like you may like similar, person. <laughs> yeah, and there and a lot of times it's right, you know, and like, um, it's really really cool, and like I love it. I mean, I feel like I'm a part of, and and sometimes I have these like fantasies of like what happened if the internet died. I'd be really sad to like lose that community of people, yeah, all over yeah. the world. You know, it's really um something I'm quite grateful for. Yeah. And I mean, it was kind of cool because uh, a few years ago, I was like really wanting to reframe my um, viewpoint on what my standard of beauty was for myself. Right. And uh, a therapist at, at that time that I was working with said, do you have like a digital or physical portfolio of women's bodies and art that make you reconsider what is beautiful? Mm. Um, like fat bodied women, larger bodies, um, that are painted and, and done so in a beautiful way to help reframe your assumptions. And I was like, at first I was bereft. I was so sad because I couldn't find anything. I was trying um, to help you. I and I specifically, I specifically did not want to go with like the kind of, um, Renaissance style, um, stuff because those were like mostly looking like women, like men that had just been popped breasts had been popped on them. Sure, they were mm -hmm. like, you know, Rubens does like these beautiful, full-figured, plump women, but they kind of don't look like women's bodies because they weren't painted by women. Um, and then we started discovering, um, like online, I found fat art history. And I was like, holy shit, there's actually a fuck ton of bodies in art history. It's just not readily available. It's been mm -hmm. curated 
not for us, you know, Mm -hmm. it's for, this is this, this whole concept of, of beauty standards for women is not finite and it's not been designed for someone like me. And so I got to recreate that. Yeah. Can you speak more on that? Cause you basically made what you were looking for. True. So not only did I start finding, um, art from other centuries, but I started seeing um, photographic documentation of large-bodied women um, and realized, huh, I am trying to also love my particular body. Like, it's very helpful to look at all the different types of bodies out there because there's a normalization of everyone's different, and that's cool. I don't have to look like anyone else. But what about me? What about my particular flaws that I'm having trouble looking at? So I created my own fucking Instagram account that just looked at how I could reframe beauty, centering my body, but not being just about my body. It was also narrative, poetry, um, staging. So I got to use all the things that I love. And it was, you know, like you said, Instagram is a free platform. Yes, Mm -hmm. we pay some prices for that. But um, that was an instantaneous therapeutic outlet for me. And it's affected other people and we'll link to it. And it's a work of art. It's really a work of art. Like when you look oh, at it, um, it really is. In like a lot of ways, it's unique. And like, uh, I don't know, it's an adventure. Like I can only say you need to go and like look through it because there's always something kind of new and um, magical popping up on there. I think you really <laughs> started something new with it. Like I've never seen anything like that before. Oh, I definitely was not the first. Well, to me. Um <laughs> I love so, the way you love me. <laughs> oh, no problem. It's just the way it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like we also have talked about how, you know, I know that email and FaceTime are on social media, but, you know, those elements, you know, keep people connected and close even or help you stay close. Yes. The tools that enable you to stay close. Um, yeah. There's endless inspiration. Um, social media platforms and things like Zoom have allowed us to work from home, especially during the pandemic. Um, it can be empowering, like with the project you started, you can find other people like you. I think we've covered all these things. Um, and like, there are a lot of really great, um, voices that usually would be silenced, um, activists and, um, Mm -hmm. there's this really interesting, um, I suppose they'd be called transgender, uh, voices called rain dove, uh, rain dove who, um, I'm going to link to them, uh, just, talking a lot about gender norms and how we see each other and how people um, are affected by them. I would never have learned about that if it wasn't for Instagram. Um, And it's very um, bold and amazing to see the things they put out. So I'm just going to like drop that here. And, but you know, things like that, like conversations Mm -hmm. people are maybe not having anyone can jump on there and be like, I am here. Here's my story. And you can actually learn about when people want to put that out there, I mean, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable doing that, but the people who do um, really do make an impact on people who are quiet and afraid to speak about it. So it can make yeah. people feel less alone, which I think is really great. And it's interesting um, because the idea of creating these hubs of social media platforms kind of were happening at the same time as these um, long format blog sites yeah. as well. So like WordPress. So you've got, you know, would we be the same without, Instagram and Facebook, no. But there was also at the same time a rise of anyone can create open sourced 
information for things like sexual well-being or eating disorders or mm-hmm. um, gender um, spectrums, uh, sexual orientation spectrums, like those types of these critical pieces of information that you're talking about that are usually not handled well within the public education system. Um, what I just am so grateful for um, that the internet exists because, you know, if you grew, I grew up in Kentucky and my sex ed was horrible. Right. <laughs> and if I had not, you know, been able to balance that out with my own independently found things, I would have just been screwed. I would have yeah. just thought that sex was just for procreation. Yeah. If you're that kid at home and no one wants to hear how you feel and accept you and support you, you can really find a home on the internet. Yep. So in Thank a positive God way. And that, that goes the opposite way too. But for the positive way, that really mm-hmm. can be a great community. Um, yeah. So I had a positive that we haven't talked about yet. What? This kind of collective consciousness mm. that um, you know, ideas um can be exposed. Some some go viral, some don't, but um the way that some of that shows up is through these um largely agreed upon things like the internet's love of cats. Um <laughs> memes, you know, they carry so oh, much information. Oh, so God. much information. <laughs> you know me. I have my Lord of the Rings memes. That's my thing. <laughs> and you 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 said something so brilliant. You were like, it's the cave painting of the internet. <laughs> I said that? Oh my God, I'm so right. I forgot that I said that. <laughs> it I think is we were talking about painting. emojis. Maybe, but same. Yeah, like it's this whoever makes them, God bless you, or God's bless you, whatever. Like that's just you geniuses. I've laughed so hard alone because a lot of times people are like, I don't understand. And I'm like, whatever, it's so funny. Just trust me. I don't know. I've I laughed know. really hard. And I have spent hours, maybe not hours, but long periods of time watching cat videos. So Yeah. 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 I'll fail. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get away from social media um for just because I have like a comparison issue and I start to feel bad about myself. Yeah. But I'm on sort of like Reddit. I'm on Reddit and Imgur and like I just look at sweet little compilations of um animals being derpy and like cats um playing with each other and baby goats and it is baby goats like a warm blanket of happiness. I follow like random animal Instagram accounts and I definitely find baby goats and I'm very happy. My um, favorite are the fainting goats because they're so, so uh, ridiculous. And like, no, my favorite are the baby pygmies that just boing, 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 boing. That's, that's amazing. And like people are also, there are some delightful people who have made delightfully hilarious things that we enjoyed in college that are part of this fabric of our history of like growing Mm -hmm. up in the early 2000s of just like salad fingers and like um, and rejected (laughs) Rejected. um, and uh, we need to link these maybe not salad fingers but like just weird and amazing artists Simon's cat like really cool artists who posted these really random funny animations and little things that we that are just so funny and brilliant and great just clever and yeah. they're just joyful. They're they're just interesting and artistic. And you get to see like that collective consciousness just coming yes. out. And like you just you watch it with your friends and you're like, that's so funny and weird. Let's watch it again. I mean, we all yes. did that. And we just we still do. You yeah. know, so it's that is a pure joy. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that too. 
Me too. So many funny things on the internet. Um, I have definitely sometimes watched like random compilations of things like cats falling over and being like, who took the time to make this? Thank you. Oh my God, Thanks. shoes. Do you remember that guy who did the like little skits with the shoes and like he dressed he dressed up like a he had this lady character he was and he wore glasses? No, but I do all of a sudden remember Sheldon. Not Sheldon, mm-hmm. Shell Shelly. The little snail? Yes. They yes. I remember Shelly the little and there was like some movie they made about it. Yeah. Yeah. So fun times on the internet. So um which kind of, if we're going to weave in a little bit of a negative, I don't know how deep you want to go into the negatives right now, like how you're feeling about it. I feel pretty, I feel good. Um, but if you talk about so much fun times, you're also talking about time suck. Yeah. Right. And I think it's time to weave into the negatives. I think the negatives are really important. Um, cool. Because okay. what? No, I just like, I was like trying to kind of like get a sense of consent. Like, can we go into the negative? Like, is, are you okay with that? Are we okay with that? I feel okay. I feel okay because cool. Yes. I think it's part of it. Um, it is a time. Mm-hmm. Suck. Like, should we spend, I mean, it's funny, but like, should we spend an hour looking at cat videos? Like probably not. Like maybe it's fine, but like, I don't know. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's so serious, but like, well, I could be like, distracted. Um, doing reflexology on myself instead, right? Like, yeah, there's so or many talking things to a I... friend or like yeah. any number of things, <laughs> taking a walk. Um, so there's a lot that of old negatives. Chestnut. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of negatives. And I, the big thing I kept thinking about when we were talking was narcissism mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. narcissism. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the official definition, but it's like kind of being obsessed with yourself or ourselves. Um, and like, I think that like, so when you mentioned like communities for people who might have eating disorders, there are also communities of people supporting each other, having one and like encouraging it. There's like these dark areas on the internet that I've seen that are like people getting obsessed with dark things. And then, and, and when you wrote about confirmation bias, when you're, it's an echo chamber, people are just echoing dark things in their little community. You can talk about this with the far right. You can talk about this with, you know, um, QAnon, like things like you get stuck in your little world and it's like, this is my world. And you get tunnel vision and, and suddenly it's easy. think that the entire world is thinking about this and yeah like, actually it's just your little tiny niche but if you There's get a whole other in, world out here <laughs> yeah and you don't realize what you're getting sucked into you know mm-hmm. and that's why i started this whole this whole podcast out with saying we never really got initiated and we never mm. really knew what we were getting ourselves into and mm. and that's us where we had formative times without it the next generations after us it's very important Never even had that time. They just developmentally, yeah. Developmentally, we are seeing insane stats around the negative impacts of what social media does for preteens, especially. Yep. Um, body image, especially. Uh, a sense of mental health has been, in some ways, for for the young developing minds. Um, a really, really horrendous thing, what's happening. An ability to focus, an ability to stay with something for a long period of time, Um, to read, to write, 
things that I take for granted that I can do and immerse myself in. I don't yeah. get the feeling from my view from my view as an educator and I'm teaching high school students. It's gotten worse since the pandemic, especially. It's gotten much worse. And like, yeah, um, and there's, but there's a lot of nuance in that, right? Because we know that some some of those fidgeting, some of those inability to focus is coming from angst from real fear, real. Oh, oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And there's a much, there's multiple reasons why, but I think that the, the constant shifting and changing on the internet, constant, um, stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. Constant stimulation. It's, and they talk about it being, um, the executive processing part of you that decides mm -hmm. to continue or to stop, decides what to look at and decides what not to look at. Those are like little micro decisions happening. And if you do too much of those a day, then you, you've lost like a, a large force, uh, a large energy bank of your executive functioning. So yeah. you're um, making decisions slower um, or not making decisions at all, kind of slipping into autopilot because your brain is, your cognitive reasoning is exhausted. Yeah. And oh, we just get exposed to so much in like a really short period of time. And even I right. like, I, you know, I think everyone comes at this from a different perspective because we're all different. You know, right. if you already had like ADHD or you already had something before this social media and you started using it, it might have exacerbated it. If you didn't, you might find yourself feeling that way. Um, you know, and, you know, I and then if you're raised in it, you might end up having those tendencies because you're just so used to getting all these instant gratifications. And I have found myself Sometimes, like the way my brain works already, I already am like, let me get this done. Let me get this done. Very Ariesly. I want to get this done and then this done and like keep going fast and getting them all done. Mm -hmm. It's gotten, it definitely got worse. Like I'll find myself being like, it's going too slow. Like I have to wait two seconds to open this folder. What? Like, why do I have to wait two seconds for my computer to turn on? And then, <laughs> but because I think because of my, that I wasn't a digital native, I can stop myself and say, hold on a second. Do you remember dial up? Mm -hmm. Like I'll say that to myself. I'll be like, "Do you remember like the sound of AOL coming on?" Also, do you remember like <laughs> dialing the phone, the rotary phone? Do you remember <laughs> leaving a message for the cute guy you had a crush on and knowing his mom would hear it? Like, like or wanting to call someone in the busy signal? Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I know the comparison. So, but my, what I'm I'm also realizing is my brain is responding differently to stimuli. And I notice it because it wasn't always like that, not to this extent, you know? And so I think it's doing subtle things to the way we view the world and process time. And it's not And this great. is not, we're not bunking things from a place of um, there's no solutions here because there no. actually are. And there's, you know, my mom's an educator as well, and she's dedicated her whole life to distance learning. So yeah. she thinks that technology is our greatest gift in terms of uh, expanding our learning potential and our connectivity potential, but it takes conscientious curation. And what you said around this was just landed in our laps without any regulations, any rules, yeah. any forethought of what's going to be the impact of this and that and this and that. Um, and how can we ring fence it to go, this is a this is a great space for this. This is junk food. This is um, whole food, you know, <laughs> like to be yeah. able to kind of distinguish and discern against things. So critical thought is at the heart of good education. And I that's agree. And, the lens that we're putting on this. Yeah. And I feel like you're you're starting to fade into our finding our elders and wise voices. And I want to, before we go there, I just oh, want to make even. sure. 
Oh, you weren't? I was like, are we going into there yet? I wasn't. Um, no, I'm just talking about my mom because uh, that's you know, great. Yeah. Of every single negative that we've talked around, she would be able to say, well, that's because, yeah, social media, if not used properly, is trash. So maybe we you should have to protect yourself. Continue this with her on one later because that might be interesting. Totally should because she, yeah. I mean, man, the way that she advocates for the proper use of dot, dot, dot is just awesome. That's amazing. I'm very curious about that because and clearly, she's aware how toxic the worlds can be. Yeah. And, and, and she, she protects herself from them. Yeah. And but we do too. Little ones can't, right? Right. And that's really what we're saying here. Like you said, is like, it's all how you use it. It's a tool, not a God. Um, we mm-hmm. made it. We get to control it. Um, it's not controlling us, but a lot of people let themselves be controlled by it. Um, I think because again, I keep saying it, but I think it's really important. You need initiation around these things. Mm-hmm. We never had it. We just went into a virtual world without any prep. And we've had to figure it out as we went along. So mm-hmm. um, we've got, you know, the other thing I love, you said, it's an extension of inner worlds. It's moody and not always the truth. That's a really mm-hmm. amazing point. Um, and when you think about it, when you go through an Instagram scrolling, you see every range of human emotion there are some people mm-hmm. who sob and cry there are people who like things i would never dream of posting just people put and you get exposed to it and like it's kind of disturbing and maybe not how we're meant to experience each other it's almost like in my opinion too much i think you know there's some schools of thought where having some privacy i mean i believe this is really important for your spirit like to keep things yeah. private and to to have protection around we are just in a lot of ways bare and open for the world to see us if you choose to do so correct and yeah the idea of posting something on your quote-unquote private page it's not you are lying to yourself right here right now you post something on a social media platform it is not private it can be screenshot recycled at any point yeah but also i mean it in like a personal way in a spiritual way not religious, but but like a, you know, energy way. Like there's a price you pay when you just, without thought, you um, put everything of yourself out. You want to keep some of that stuff for you. Like I think yeah. it's really important. And like that's interesting. There's a there's a neon eye. I read about this in um, O'Donohue, um, Anamkara, which we both love, and he writes mm. about the. I think he called it the neon eye of consciousness or like where you mm-hmm. where you're not keeping anything private you're just mm. broadcasting everything out and that you pay a price for that there needs to be some quiet inner world you attune to that only your maybe your closest friends can see i don't think it's healthy this is just my personal opinion but oh my I don't god think- i just realized that that is a huge part of what colin was talking about with Patrick when he said i just want some quiet yeah, it's a noisy place. It may be quiet. You may be scrolling in silence, but it's loud. And like, <gasps> it's all of your stuff on display. You don't have do you to really want to do that? Out loud. You don't have to process out loud. Not yeah, to that's everyone. I, was, I realized this year that I was actually using the media platforms to process things that are really important. But, and I, it shouldn't be my crutch. I should also be processing well, it's, myself. This is a, this is where this conversation's messy though, because I think your outer processing has been really beneficial to people. So this is actually a personal decision. What are you putting out that you feel good about, that feels healthy? And what do you keep to yourself? 
that's something that comes with like learning about who you are and being grounded in yourself. And that's the thing we need to come to social media with so we can yeah. make a choice that's best for us. I can't tell you what's good for you and not. I know the things I'm not going to share. And actually, you just brought up a really good point because what you just said around what is good and healthy for you, yeah. um, you literally do not mean only po- post positive things, only post healthy no. things. You mean literally the level of sharing Yeah, what what's healthy for you to share, like the amount that you're going to um, or the restraint that you're going to exercise for yourself, for your own self-preservation, and which which is um, the flip side of toxic positivity. If you're only yes. going to post positive stories, um, I almost forgot about that. I have there's really strong feelings trend. about that. I know, and you know what? There's already stats to prove how horrible it is for our relationships. Oh. People now that people exist within their friendships online, um, studies are showing that um, people are losing friendships at a of like a lot. Like the idea, like the um, the way that people feel about their friends is becoming more and more negative. Mm-hmm. And it's because of these really indulgent posts. And it's like, I don't actually like you anymore. <laughs> so I have two thoughts I need to share that have just come in my mind. I can't believe I almost forgot them. Oh, yeah. So the first one is just going to be general. Like there's this whole world of the internet and TV of like reality stars Mm-hmm. And there are reality stars who've had, and I'm not going to name any of them because I really don't like this, but I observe it from like a curious perspective. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, I'm looking at it. I don't follow it, but I look at it and I'm like, what is this? Because I'm genuinely intrigued. And like, there's a particular person who had a lot of bad stuff happen in public on the show and is now living her quote, best life. Hashtag, you know, life is good all the time. And constantly talking about how the MLM she's participating in and the, you know, great things she's doing, how happy she is, like every post. And I don't know this person and I, but I think she represents something that I've seen in people I know, but mostly in like general people I see that it makes you feel better to portray yourself in this way, but it is the most inauthentic way to be. And it's why I left Facebook and it's why I know that my group of friends, my inner circle, we have relationships outside of these apps and we maintain and cultivate our relationships in an authentic way. But I, Mm -hmm. and I can't say that that person doesn't offline, but from, if people are consuming that, it does something to you, I think, because it makes you think, why is my life not looking like that? And it's like, promise you it's not. Like, promise you every person who's posting that stuff are lying to you. And I kind of judge them because I think it's unethical. And it's also why personally I don't post relationship posts of good or or negative because I just don't think it's it's honest because relationships are always changing and I'm not going to share that with everyone. And like if you remember back when Facebook days, I don't know if it still does this because I haven't been on it, but in a relationship, not in a relationship, like why? Yep. Why? You know? And then the other thought I had well, we know was, why, because as humans, we've relied on gossip to understand yeah. the well-being of a world that is too big for us to traverse. Yeah. And and what I was saying with the Anamkaras, you know, I find that quote, but like with sharing everything, yeah. relationships are kind of sacred. And yeah. I don't want the public knowing about what's going on in my relationships. I'm not going to post my drama for everyone to see. And people do that all the and time. And it's a spectrum, right? People, people have a spectrum of belief around what what they want private. It's true. 
So it has but to like, be navigated on a, on a personal level. It's it not really there's does. no universal law, right? No. But if someone asked me what I thought, I'd say, be tender with your sacred relationships. You don't need to broadcast that stuff. And the, the, the like, I think my story of leaving Facebook is very important because I remember I was having issues with feeling like my life wasn't in the right spot because I was looking at everyone's posts and I'd be like, my life doesn't look like that. Why yeah. am I not getting married? Why am I not pregnant? Everyone and, started buying houses yep. and getting really cool jobs. And I started to feel very bad about myself. Yeah. And like everyone started having gorgeous children and all the wedding photos. And yep. I'm just like, I feel really bad about myself. Yeah. And some people I knew didn't care. They were like, I don't care. And I I think because maybe we're sensitive or I don't know, we're just who we are. I would look at my page that represented me and I'd be like, no good. And then I'd realize, because I'm smart, I'd be like, this is dumb because it's literally a stupid online site. No one knows what my yep. life's really like. And my life is many faceted, multifaceted. I don't need this stupid thing. And I also, we haven't talked yet about addiction, but we should before we close. But addiction is a huge part of this because it actually is addictive. Like yes. it's the same receptors in the brain. And I was definitely addicted to it. Like I haven't been addicted to much in my life, but social media is something that I've definitely has happened. And maybe it's because of the aesthetic part of it. Because I know people who are addicted to other things, but not social media. So it's interesting the things that hook us, but it definitely hooked me. And I recognized that was happening. And I I was like, all right, it's time to leave this. It's not helping me. And I tried to leave a couple of times and I literally had a hard time doing it, which scared me. I was like, oh, I am currently going through withdrawal. So listen to this story. Maybe it'll help you. (laughs) I finally go to leave it. And when you do... I don't know if it still does, but when I did it this time, because it was literally, I think it was like seven or eight years ago that I did this, a little thing pops up and it says, really? You're going to go? Your friends are going to miss you. And five friends popped up and none of them were my friends and never talked to me. And I was like, fuck this. And I just signed off. I was like, my real friends call me on the phone. I haven't talked to those people in years. And I signed off and I never looked back. And I felt so much better because it lies to you. It manipulates your emotions and it plays to your insecurities. It really does. And so, like, I don't know. Um, it really did this thing where it made you feel like you'd be antisocial if you left. Yeah. It plays to some of our worst human traits. And I think the people who made it knew that. And we can start talking about addiction from that because they knew it and they did it on purpose. And you can read articles about it. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the developmenting minds. Yeah, that's that's when addiction actually um, diverts some healthy developmental stages. Yeah. And have even though I keep my Instagram in a folder on my phone and I don't Mm -hmm. get notifications, I will open it and not remember doing it. Like my finger will go to it and I'll be like, why am I in this? I didn't even want to. Has that ever happened to you? You called this episode the spell. It's a spell. Yeah. Ugh. Right? Interesting. I knows it. So, you know, here's something that's neither positive nor negative. All right. The idea that we are the creative volunteer, Mm. that we are voluntarily putting our work on a public site that doesn't compensate us per se, but holds the potential to link people to purchase things to your work. That's neither positive nor negative because it is what it is. It is. Um, and I love to think about what it's done for me creatively. I love to think about what it's taken from me, but, um, 
creatively, there's some incredible tech. Um, I've been able to create, you know, a stitching of storytelling, you have uh, voiceovers of time lapse. You know, I do not have it in me to learn the um, Adobe and other, uh, you know, Premiere and editing software uh, applications that would, you know, lend itself for me to being like a really good, you know, creator of movies or animations. Uh, I just, it's not in my constitution. <laughs> I've taken classes throughout my whole life. I did stop motion, um, uh, filmmaking. I, I've tried to learn it all. And I swear to God, there are just some things that require a level of patience and fiddliness yeah. that I don't have. And, you know, so I get to dip my toes in it. I mean, pretty cool. It is. And I also want to counter a little what you said, because I think those apps are the next generation because I use Adobe, but I struggle with it too. And these other apps that are now being made, they cut out a lot of the extra and you can make cool stuff without mm-hmm. Adobe. And I think mm-hmm. that it's becoming more and more easy. And I am totally embracing that because I've, it's more intuitive and it. I've done things <laughs> on Adobe Express that I couldn't do in Adobe. And I nice. think they're finding ways to simplify the tools. And so like- nice. I think that you can just think you're you're actually finally finding a means of learning it that works for you because they're making the tech easier. So yes. honestly, I think they're making it more accessible, which is genius. Um, and it's possible that some of the digital natives out there that didn't have to kind of have the trial by fire of learning HTML, learning. Yeah, um, I used that a little build. when I was younger. Yeah how to build and how to code it's all being built and coded for you and you're just lifting and shifting and stitching um that's it's an interesting generational gap um it's almost like you know the um era of um craft person that had to do everything by hand and how you know the age of industry um created an opportunity for things to go faster, quicker, um, be machine built. Um, and there are positive and negatives of that. Yeah. And this is just a tiny little note because it could go on and on. So I'm not going to like delve into this, what I'm going to say, but like I'm teaching a photo class and I'm using cell phones Word. and the photos are great and you can do most of what I'm sure photographers like your dad might hate this, but like you can do, I don't know how he feels about it, but you can do a lot of the stuff that you did in a dark room all on your phone. You can buy stuff. You can Yes, he feels great about it. Does he? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I was like, I can think of some photo teachers at Purchase who would be horrified. But like, I was just like, I can teach my kids all this stuff. They can teach themselves. And yeah. like, they take, they've taken some pretty amazing photographs just using their phones, so. But if I think about what a really good teacher does, no matter what the tech no matter what the process, no matter what they're teaching, a good teacher at the heart knows that teaching will never die because someone has to teach you how to love learning. It's true. There, there's, learning is an adventure and there's a structure and there's a progress um, and a process that allows you to feel like solid in your work, focused, make it meaningful, hold you accountable. That's what a teacher does. It doesn't matter if some of the tools are, you know, like the kind of end of a romantic era of dark rooms <laughs> and, um, you know, learning how to bookbind yourself. By the way, I feel like learning how to bookbind is an incredible thing. Just saying. I but, agree. Um, we are tangenting. I'm just going to point it out. <laughs> we are, But it is Yule. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Yule. You get to hear, you get to hear what happens when we talk. 
Yeah. I'm not trying to stop you. I'm just, we can keep going, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> these are these are magical casting of tides. These they are. swaths of evolution of change. And we're just looking at it under the microscope. Absolutely. And it's you're totally right. I love what you're saying. Like it's I agree with you hundred percent. And social media is part of that. And the apps yeah. we use to post and make art on them. So I just mentioned teachers. Teachers. I can get a hey, like that. you're good. I uh seg- segueing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> elders and wise voices, teachers. Mm, that's what they are. We want our elders. We want the wisdom keepers to help us, um, you know, l- these lessons are, you know, in the form of really wi- wise, you know, wizards of the woods, shall we say, writing yeah. the books and words of being. Yeah. Right? And as we know from all these myths that we talk about, it's always better to enter these enchanted woods with guides, some mm. magical light and a map to tell you where the danger and delight are hidden. Mm. And so we kind of started compiling a list of people, um, wisdom keepers, who have probably, who not probably have definitely hit up against the same things we are and are coming up with their own solutions. Yeah. Um and so um I immediately thought of Darren Thomas McGee. Um he is an artist in uh, California, who I've been following for years. And um, the name of his business is Real Fun Wow. I've bought prints from him and you should. His work's really cool. And he, you have to go look at them for yourself. But he, have you looked at any of the ads he does? No. Okay. So he does these ads and like, they're really tongue in cheek and they're kind of like sarcastic. And he's like, basically the like, gist is, look, I have to advertise to you because it's how I make my living. So look at this cool blanket I made. And he'll like make a joke and it's really dry. And it appeals to me. And like, I kind of appreciate that he's being super honest about how he's using the tool. He'll also like make fun of Instagram while using it. And so it's, I guess they would call that meta, but like, he's like existing in the environment while calling out the environment. Because again, if he wanted to move to another environment, like I was saying, it's really hard to move because no one moves with you and therefore it won't work. And so he's using that platform and it's working for him in a way that's honest. So Mm -hmm. he's one person I'd advise, like I would say, hey, check it out and see if that appeals to you. Um, There's another uh, book that Anthony, um, my my, one of my really close friends, Anthony had suggested to me a few years ago. And um, it's called Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in the Digital Age. And I will link to it. And there's a lot in that book. But the thing that really stood out to me in it was just the idea that when you're interacting with people, especially as a child, mm-hmm. you're going to end up being mean to someone or saying something mean. And you have to have the uncomfortable moment of being like, ooh, I hurt that person and dealing with that emotion and then acting accordingly. Now, kids are online all the time. They're playing games online together. They're texting. They're Snapchatting, all these weird things I don't even understand. And they can, you can be a jerk and not get that experience. That's bad for empathy, connection, and like self-awareness in general. And I find this lack of empathy and apathy to be a thing I'm pushing up against at my job. And it scares me because kids will be super mean to me. And I'll be like, and so I've started being very like open and being like, you know, that's a mean thing to say, right? That's you, you don't talk to people that way. And I do it with this balance of like letting them know you actually hurt my feelings. 
I'm good, but like, can you think about that a minute? And they always get it. But at this point, I don't think I should have to be explaining that. To me, that's dangerous. And so um, I think that that, among many other things in that book, got me thinking about what we're missing, especially from a generation that might be using it from the very beginning without any of the experiences, the uncomfortable experiences we had to go through developmentally to learn how to treat each other. So that's a huge one for me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, those are really, really beautiful um, people and, and resources to cling on to in this, in this really volatile time. Yeah. Um, and, and this digital age, um, my, some of my elders in terms of wisdom keepers for me are the, you know, kind of radical black activists, um, um, Sonia Renee Taylor and, mm. um, Adrian Marie Brown. And, you know, if I think about the perfect evolution of, um, social and political transformational change and the way that we network and the way that we kind of decentralize systems of power, um, that started as like a very human on the ground thing, but it can live really beautifully within the web and within the digital ecosystem. And those women embody, personify really effective um, guidance, uh, re open resource, um, and and to and reparational resource as well. Like mm -hmm. they've really taught me what it means to be to be voting with your dollar, that if you are mm -hmm. going to be inspired by, um, you know, pleasure activism from mostly um, black women of, you know, our American early feminism, if we are, if we are kind of utilizing their wisdom and utilizing their creativity, pay them. <laughs> yeah. And so I am a Patreon of these of these women. Um, I purchase and support them and I fund them in my m modest way. And that is a form of activism. But, you know, what their their kind of curriculum and resources that they offer, whether it's, um, you know, Sonia Renee Taylor's um, The Body is Not an Apology. Um, it's about radical self-love. Um, and there are... Um, ways that you can access the facilitation no matter where you are in the world, both in person and online. And then with Adrienne Marie Brown, oh my God, like her emergent strategy completely changed the way that I see change, the way that I see transformation. It's not always fast. Slow is good. Organic is good. Um, and creating that connection between pleasure, activism, um, helping the planet and helping the self and, and how to strategize that, that there's a system of strategy and, and how to be a really good community uh, participant. Th those are the two incredible black activists that absolutely anchor me and make me feel held and led and inspired. Um, so they, for me, those are really, really important um, thought leaders and also I wanted to mention Corey Doctorow. He is so prolific. He writes, it was interesting is that all of these people are in, in um, some ways authors and poets within fantasy. So mm -hmm. Corey Doctorow is a sci-fi writer. Um, mm -hmm. um, uh, um, um, oh my God, why am I having such a hard time with my brain right now? Adrienne Marie Brown is a sci-fi writer. And she, she writes about Octavia Butler as well. But um, these yeah. people 
um, are so very, very prolific, and but they also write about um, the digital age. And um, Corey, Doc- Corey Doctorow has a really awesome online blog um, with like, the other thing that I think is really cool about the digital age is that like online isn't a static thing. Like you don't put up no. a blog, you don't put up like a piece of paper on a um, town hall notice board, and then it's just inert. There's hyperlinks everywhere. And I love the rabbit warren tunnels that you can kind of create within a site. I love that. Yeah. And so he does that really beautifully. And he's mentioned um, Anna Merlin, who wrote a book on conspiratorial conspiracies, and it's called The Republic of Lies, mm. which um, looks at the juncture of real life trauma and systematic failures and how those things have created what we have now. And we have to return to actually being able to tend to trauma, being able to continue to repair a system that was created to disadvantage. Yeah. And as it pertains to social media and what we've been speaking of, it sounds like these activists and people you are talking about are kind of encouraging intention, being intentional with the use of these things, being present and like actually, um, kind of inspiring change through these mediums self-care yeah and it's collective well-being as well yeah so it's kind of like you can put new spells into the spell ecosystem you can like cast new counter spells to the destructive cycles and that sounds like what they're doing and you know what i think of in terms of elders Mm. i really take that literally and think of trees Mm. and i think of the book the mother tree and how um botanists and um, people who study forests uh, realize that there are these older parent trees and grandparent trees that utilize or um, ca- or um, take to their advantage the mycelium network underneath their roots that connect them to the soil, to water, to nutrients, and send Uh, nutrients and water to other trees throughout the forest. And mycelium is the oldest form of the internet. It carries Mm. information across miles and miles and miles. And so the original elders, the original digital world, all exists within our forests and subterranean worlds. That just led to another thing I've always said, which is I've always found it fascinating that when I look at circuit boards or like the inner workings of these tools we use to connect, they look like brains. So I feel like we've created exterior brains to play in outside of our brains. And like we need to have deep respect for the fact that we've created a brain we're living in. So we're brains within brains. <laughs> yeah. And yep. so like and we are part of nature. So of course the thing we make is going to echo the thing we are. We've made mm. universes from our inner universe we're looking at our thought process online that creative consciousness has become not just a myth but a tactile myth like it proves myth like you can go online and watch it scrolling through the dark Mm. parts mordor i'm not going to apologize for this mordor (laughs) that i'm referencing lord of the rings and like the shire like you can go down really dark tunnels and stumble upon dark places in the psyche because it's essentially the psyche. We can see yeah. it now. Literally see yeah. it. It's just like yeah. this other, the next step in our evolution. And it's beautiful and terrifying. And it's, we need to approach it with consciousness and intent. 
We can't just, we, we can't afford anymore to not pay attention to these things. And we need to have conversations about this more and more to create a better society on the internet and yeah. in our So in we're our just apps. joining the collective that have yeah. always looked at this with intent and gone, yep, we're going to participate in a conscious way. Yeah. And so um, I'm feeling like we're in the wrapping up phase. Do you agree? I agree. Okay. Um, so we kind of had some questions to leave you with. Um, the big one I want to start with that I find that I personally find really important is do you use social media or does it use you? And I think everyone, not that we are all the wisdom, me and Ruto are the wisdom keepers, but like I personally feel, you know, as an educator, that that is a really important piece of this, um, a really good question to ask. Um, and how has your empathy muscle changed as a result of connecting or communicating online? And I'm, I'm a big fan of healthy boundaries. So mm -hmm. I want to ask how are your personal boundaries, dear listener? And what do you think of creating moments or environments where there are um, no phones? Uh, are you doing this for a vacation? Um, are there moments where you can witness your ability to focus or not focus and think about extending the length of time that you repair that muscle. Yes. Um, the question of what, how do you feel if you use notifications when you see notifications? I know that when I've used notifications, it gives me really intense anxiety because I feel like there's always something I have to do. Um, so I turned them off a while ago and I've had a lot more peace. Yep. Um, I've done the same. Yeah. And um, I think those are our main questions. I think that we also are kind of starting to put out there and maybe we'll do another, you know, talk about this and develop it further, but we need a code of conduct in the virtual landscape. Um, Agreed. And I, I kind of wish there was an, a universal one. Um, and I think it's up to us to do that as, you know, a generation or something, but I think we need to have one. Um, there will be a pair of best friends just like us who have created their own. I mean, we've we've had that we already collaborative document yeah. for, I don't know, what is that, five, six years now? Yeah, and we should probably, you know, we'll, we will finish it and we will share it um, eventually, um, maybe when we talk with your mom. But, um, you know, what is your code of conduct if you were going to write one? That would be another question I would ask. And if you want to share with us on social media um, what you'd put on the list, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so just send us a message and tell us because we'll add it. Um, just one more thing as well. Yeah. Eye contact. Mm -hmm. When you are in a room with someone, how often do you set your phone down and gaze lovingly at the person you're sharing space with? Yep. It's a good question. Um, so, listen, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we urge all of us collectively to stop relying on this to take breaks um don't let it steal our ability to be present with each other um do you have more to say about that rudo take care of your um stressed out adrenals make sure that you're maintaining focus for more than 20 second context switching is very cognitively draining mm -hmm. um make sure you're supporting people that you're inspired by I agree. And finally, I'm going to end, like, kind of end this out with, you know, I do think that my generation, um, I think it's our job, you know, 
I'm just kind of, I guess it's a call to arms, but I really think our role, we're the bridge. We really are the bridge. We're the last generation to know what it's like without this. And Mm -hmm. I think we need to impart to younger generations who have tons of wisdom and amazing things they brought to the table. But I really think um, we have something to offer and that we should be having conversations. And as an educator, I take it very seriously about the things we're talking about because um, we need to have awareness and consciousness about this really magical spell we've woven um, into our reality. And that's that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, it is Yule time and whatever you celebrate, um, it's the winter solstice here for me. I'm in the middle of a huge storm in the east coast of, um, the States and Rudo is in the warm, balmy summer of New Zealand, (laughs) but it's still the opposite solstice. So we're in this really powerful time right now. So whatever it is you're celebrating or doing at this point, um, you know, be kind to yourself, um, check in, be present, enjoy the people you love. And um, we'll have all these, you know, inspirational links and resources in our show notes. Um, mm. And in our next episode, we're very excited. We are going to be talking to the musician who wrote our music for our show, Alejandro Bernard. Um, <laughs> one of my friends of many years. And um, we are sure you'll enjoy hearing about his life, art, and family. Yeah, so Whimsical Aliens is our uh, podcast theme show, theme song. And (laughs) we just send so much love at this time to Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York. (laughs) Can't wait to talk to you. Um, Like and subscribe on his YouTube page and find him on Patreon. And also, the project has been edited and produced by my beloved Bjorn. And thank Mm -hmm. you for your support. And thank you for your time, dear listeners. We'll see you next time. See you next time.